Hello and welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast, where we open our Bibles and talk about the beauty, goodness, and truth we find there. I'm your host, Rachel Myers. And I'm your other host, Amanda Bible Williams. And friends, you've made it. It is Holy Week. We are in week seven of our Lent series, Come to Life, the Lenten study of Ezekiel. We have read the whole book of Ezekiel together. And now, as promised, we are going to walk through Holy Week. We are going to read as Jesus walks to the cross on our behalf. It is such a special week, and we have such a special guest. Our friend Jenny Allen is here. You probably know her as the founder and visionary of If Gathering. She is a speaker and author of many books, a new book that just released in February called Find Your People. She is so passionate about the Word of God and about the gospel of Jesus. And this was such a good week to have her here with us, to open God's Word, and to read the story of all stories together. This episode is going to bless you, and we just really pray that it does. Let's get right to it. Jenny Allen, welcome to the She Reads Truth Podcast. It is so exciting to be here. And I'm really happy with the week that I drew somehow or that y'all appointed <laughs> me to. I'm so excited to be here and talk about Jesus. <laughs> yes. So good. Oh. There are seven weeks in the Lent podcast series, and six of them are on the book of Ezekiel. And you got week seven. I won. <laughs> <laughs> you won. You won. I love Ezekiel. I look back at it because just in preparation for today. and Sure. I was... Yeah, I was so moved by him. I mean, Man. I'm just picturing this guy out there, you know, banging a drum for God and like everybody <laughs> wants him gone. You know, this is just, it's not working. I think how obstinate everybody was and and how hopeless the situation seems. So I'm mm-hmm. so glad y'all yeah. took that on. Yeah, I was confident that we could read any book of the Bible for Lent and it would prepare us for Holy Week, I came out of reading Ezekiel just like, oh, that was exactly what I needed to read for Lent this season. And just feeling like, honestly, like more ready for Holy Week than I've Mm -hmm. probably ever felt. Like it just, I think that like that theme of like the holiness of God and like the presence of God and knowing that it like left the temple. And mm. I think I learned so much and I just felt, I feel so ready for Jesus. Yeah. 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 Jenny, so here we are. It's 2022, Lent 2022. How do you feel stepping into Holy Week in 2022? Like what's, give us sort of a, like your version of boots on the ground right now. Mm. Well, I feel like we are in a world of hopelessness. It feels hard to drum it up in ourselves and our circumstances anymore. And I think Mm -hmm. that's pretty universal. And what's comforting about that is that's how it was supposed to be, right? Like that's what Lent is. It's this hunger and this longing for more and for God and knowing that nothing on the earth satisfies us. And so yeah. That's the theme of the last few years, right? We've been in we've really been in a is. season and a theme of longing and wanting and waiting and wanting to hope, but not even having enough to muster that up apart from God. And and my right. favorite people, if I think about my favorite people on earth, they are people that have suffered. They are people that have wanted. They are people that have not had everything go right on earth. And so therefore, they walk so intimately with Jesus because there is a dependence on him 
that transcends the constant things we can tend to cope with on earth mm -hmm. to deal with that same feeling. I mean, ultimately we know all of us are longing and wanting apart from God, that our souls were built for God yes. and apart from him, we are not satisfied. And I think that's, yeah. to me, that's the drum of Lent, that it's like you want something and it's never going to be satisfied here. And it will be, and it is right. only in God. And yeah. so Jesus, what he did was he connected God to humans, right? Like that was the divide. That was the thing that was divided. It was, it was God was here in his holiness and his goodness and his righteousness and his set-apartness. And humans were here in their, in their transgressions and their finiteness and their turning away and running away and their sin and their depravity. And what Jesus did was said, I'm going to build you a bridge, right? I think back to old college days when I learned like the bridge gospel <laughs> analogy. Absolutely. But yeah. it really is one of my very favorite analogies for Jesus because if we were built for God and our souls will never be satisfied with anything else, then that bridge is the only way we get him. Like that bridge is the way we are connected to him. And so I just always picture running across that bridge and being, you know, this is, I get God, you know, like that's what I get because of Jesus. And so to go into this season and then to really focus on what we're going to do today, what he must have felt. When I read all of these passages that we're going to talk mm -hmm. about today, and I loved the way they were organized because it did just build into, I would say, just perspective of Jesus's, it should have been his frustration and his disappointment. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, and certainly there were moments, like when he turns over the tables, there were times where, where you saw that he really was just sad and disappointed in, in what was happening. However, you see that he had a hope and you see that he was willing to love us, to go to any means possible to get us to God because he had perspective. And so the long answer is perspective. And the short answer is yeah. Jesus, because it really is. <laughs> it really is. I mean, we're just all at a place where that really is the joy and the hope we have. Yeah. 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 That's right. I think that reading Ezekiel for six weeks, six long weeks, mm -hmm. <laughs> it really did, Jenny, it underscored for us everything that you just said. Because in the book of Ezekiel, we beheld God's glory, yeah, you know, over and over. And in beholding God's glory, it is so apparent how the humans in the story, ourselves included, fall short of that. And it's so clear that like, oh, these two things don't go together. Yeah. <laughs> Can't. Cannot. Can't, cannot go together. Like we cannot be in the presence of a holy God with our sinful selves. Like that's not, that will not work. And we get to see, and I say get to see, it was devastating to see what we become when left to our own devices. Mm -hmm. What we become in that absence of yeah. God, in that separation, when we try to fill the void that you just described with all manner of created things, and we see just how deeply we need the God that we are severed from, mm -hmm. separated from. And so I'm so excited about Holy Week because yeah. though the story, this, you know, Ezekiel was a heavy read. Mm -hmm. Holy Week is not a light read. Right, yeah. It is also a heavy read. But in Ezekiel, we got this, this invitation to repent and live. Mm -hmm. You know, our study this year is called Come to Life. And so in Holy Week, we get the how. 
How yeah. how yeah. is this possible? Yeah. And we're going to get to see it. I just, I think about all the things. Last week in week six of our podcast episodes, Dr. Danny Hayes was our guest. And he taught me so much in one hour about Ezekiel. <laughs> and he was like, there's nothing but connections between Ezekiel mm. and Holy Week. Like he was just like, the presence of God left the temple and it didn't return. Like even in the second temple, like there was no big moment where it re-entered the temple. Mm. Like the presence of God entered the temple when baby Jesus was presented to Anna and Simeon. Like that's when the presence of God entered that temple. And like, and now we're like going to start Palm Sunday reading like about the triumphal entry and like him riding in as king. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just so excited to see that presence of God theme carry out, but also that like holiness and unholiness. And the only way that we can be in the presence of God is to be holy, which we can't do. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to do the ultimate thing mm-hmm. to impute his holiness to us, and it has to happen this way. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I feel like we're all just like, let's go. Like, let's, I'm excited to get we right into so it. so much scripture to read, y'all. It, a normal She Reads Truth reading week is five days, Monday through Friday. But because it's Lent and because of Holy Week, we have Palm Sunday through Resurrection Sunday. So it's three extra days. So bonus points for being here, Jenny. <laughs> Thanks. I love it. Let's do it. Jenny, would you read for us? We love, love, love to hear our people read scripture to us. We're starting on Palm Sunday today with that triumphal entry. And I love the setup, Rachel, of just this is Jesus's version of the big moment of God's glory riding into Jerusalem. You know, he's on a donkey. And, you know, scripture tells us a relatively unattractive man on a donkey. And I'm just like, I love it. I love this. Yeah that this is our Jesus. And Jenny, I love it when you read to us and talk to us at the same time. You're my favorite. (laughs) Read it for us. (laughs) Yeah, start at Luke 19, 28 and just, you know, let the Spirit lead. Okay. (laughs) When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples and said, go into the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent left and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners said to them, why are you untying the colt? The Lord needs it, they said. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their clothes on the colt, they helped Jesus get on it. As he was going along, they were spreading their clothes on the road. Now he came near the path down the Mount of Olives, and the whole crowd of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees from the crowd told him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day, what would bring peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes, for the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Oh, 
so precious. The end. The time when God visited you. Oh. The time when God visited you. And if they were to keep silent, rebuke your disciples. No, I won't. Because if they were to be silent, the rocks, the actual <laughs> oh rocks that I created at the foundation of the world would cry out. Mm. So good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. You know, some translations will say Hosanna, mm-hmm. um, which means save us, Lord, save us. And it's from, you know, from the Psalms. We hear that in the Psalms. Psalm 118, Lord, save us. Lord, please grant us success. He who comes in the name of the Lord is blessed. Mm. And so they're saying, they're crying out to him, Lord, save us. And even in the same breath, don't really know what they're saying, you know. That verse 41, as he approached and saw the city, he Mm -hmm. wept for it. I know. I'm just picturing Jesus Mm -hmm. on a donkey riding and weeping, not just like looking around and smiling, like sobbing for his beloved city. Yeah. Mm. Well, there, yeah. I mean, to imagine what he's feeling because of where he's riding. And, And while there's a moment of small celebration for who he is, and, and it says the disciples were praising him, that there was a sense of many disciples were there, and they were worshiping, and they were saying what was true, right. and yet he's being led to his death, <laughs> and he knows it. And so what a, what a conundrum of knowing that there are people on earth that know, but then he's looking mm-hmm. ahead at a city that doesn't know. And he says, and he's going to die for this both. day, what would bring peace? If yeah. you only knew what the thing that will save us, the, yes. the thing that will bring peace, I know. I just think how frustrated we get as believers sometimes when it feels like God is not winning in a relationship or mm-hmm. in the world or on the news or on the internet. Like it feels frustrating to us. I know it feels like, oh, we, yeah. this is so good and this is so rich and we want God to win. We want scripture to win. We want his righteousness to win. But he was righteousness. He was yeah. God. And, and yet he rode in and died for them. I just think that's the takeaway I have from this whole thing that we're about to read over yep. you know, this week is just that he died for them. Like he, he wasn't frustrated with them. He died for them. And he died for the ones, even the Pharisees, right? He died for everyone if they would yeah. believe in him. Right. Yeah. For God so loved the world. Love. Love is what drove him mm. to do that. Yeah. One of the things that I love about Holy Week is, you know, we do this every year. We mm-hmm. read through. It's like roughly in in real time, right? Like, so we're reading on Sunday. He rode in on Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, on Monday, we read about him cleansing the temple and flipping over the tables. And, and so these stories become familiar mm-hmm. to the believer because, you know, very often we will read through these at least once a year, oftentimes more. And one of the things that I love about this cleansing the temple passage is we get, it's such a difference. Like what you just described, Rachel, of a man riding into town on a donkey weeping Mm -hmm. for love of his city. And then the next day he goes in and flips over tables, makes a big scene Mm -hmm. And so I love how we are seeing the attributes of Jesus on display. And one of the things we learned in Ezekiel was that God is all of his attributes fully all of the time. Mm -hmm. This is not a different side of Jesus Mm -hmm. 
this is still all Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I want to read it. If we can't read it, you want to read for us? I do. May I call on I'll, you to read? I love to read. Yes. Let's read uh, from Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19 here. Reading this passage, preparing for this recording, it just brought me right back to Ezekiel. I think it's like 10 through 11. I might be wrong about that. But those chapters where like, like Ezekiel's getting the tour of all the abominations happening in the temple, all mm-hmm. these things that are detestable to God. Mm-hmm. And now here we are again with God, mm-hmm. Jesus, entering the temple and seeing what he sees and, and seeing it as detestable. So in verse 15, it starts... They came to Jerusalem, and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them. Is it not written? My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves." The chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him, because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Whenever evening came, they would go out of the city. I love that detail. Evening, they would book it out of there. We're going to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's not time it's yet. It's not time yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, Jenny, like... It's interesting here that, like, we're going to read a little bit later in this week that, like, one of the reasons they want to kill Jesus is because they're afraid of the people. Mm-hmm. But here it's, like, for they were afraid of him, but because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. Like, there's just this whole, like, mm-hmm. oh, like, everything's shaking. Like, something's mm-hmm. changing, and we've, we've been in control, and now mm-hmm. we are, we're starting to feel like we might not be in control. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder sometimes, too, you know, at this point, He's like, ah, what do I have to lose? Like, I'm just gonna go. I, I know, I know he's got he's got a plan, and I know he's got. But there's a little bit of like, hey, they're about to kill me. It's time anyway. Like, let me show, yeah. let me give a little window to another side of me that is. You're right, mm-hmm. has always been there. But of course, if he had done that too soon, yes. You know, and I do think there was some timing to that story. And so, yes. But you definitely see that. Hey, this is how he feels about people using God, using the gospel, using a place of worship that was meant for, you know, I just think of how he felt about children. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think in this passage as well, it talks about that even, do you not know that even the babies were born to worship? Like there's this sense mm-hmm. of from the time we are born, we're hungering and thirsting after God to worship him. Like that was in our DNA. And so this was what he wanted. He wanted purity. He wanted a reckoning of of ourselves to be right with God. And one way that that happens is the overturning of the idols and the other things that compete with God. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. And his his house is not a place for people to be exploited. His house is a place for people to be gathered. Mm-hmm. Like the phrase, you know, a house of prayer for all nations. Yeah. That's very significant. And we, you know, we also, when we read that passage this week, we'll read from Isaiah 56, where there's a really beautiful description of how, you know, the Lord gathers the dispersed and calls, you know, there's this beautiful passage about the eunuchs who who choose the Lord and hold to his covenant that even though they don't produce offspring and have like they are 
they are grafted in. It says in verse 5 in Isaiah 56, I will give them in my house and within my walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. Mm. That it is the identity of God's people as God's people, not for what they can give. It is the opposite of exploitation, right? It is adoption and I want to say sonship, but yeah, it's adopt- yeah. yeah, it's adoption and like sonship that like belonging to. And that is what, you know, this isn't just, you know, Jesus putting on his I'm justice Jesus hat and flipping over tables like his justice is indelibly tied to his love and his compassion That's and right. his mercy. Yeah. I feel um, intimidated by the thought of trying to cover seven to eight days in this episode. You're um, great. <laughs> One day, too. We're doing great. We're doing great. I know. But I want to keep moving into day 44. Jenny, this is, I mean, we get the, like those couple of verses about the widow's gift, which I actually want to wait to talk about until the next day, because I think that there are some connections. But then we have the destruction of the temple predicted and the signs of the ends of the age. Jenny, of those... What do you want to talk about? Oh, I, I mean, I was really drawn to the signs of the end of the age, right? Because I'm thinking... We thought maybe. Yeah. I'm thinking... I li- Jenny, I literally made a note and was like, have Jenny Allen read this out <laughs> okay, loud. I'll read it. Yeah. I mean, that's that was the part that I made notes on in that Yeah, version. let's do it. Okay. So verse 7, this is Luke 21, 7. Teacher, they asked him, so when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Then he said, watch out that you are not deceived for many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, nation will be raised up against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places And there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues, interesting, and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time. For I will give you such words and a wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I mean, <laughs> I, mean I, I want to start by saying I don't want to be the person in the front of the verse that says, hey, many people are uh-huh. saying the time is near and don't follow them. I don't want to be that person. But at the same time, yeah. the time is near. And there is absolutely a lot of evidence throughout Scripture that points to an urgency that he calls every generation to, mm-hmm. that he, he calls every us generation. to live urgently. This is not something that we predict on this day or at this time. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying at another point, and I, I can't remember which day it was, we talk about the fig tree. And it basically yeah. is, mm-hmm. a, is a hint at when you start to see that tree looking like it's about to bear fruit, it's about to bear fruit. And that's kind of what we see throughout Scripture 
is mm-hmm. this idea that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming. And right. it's okay to live that way. I hope it is okay yeah. to live that way. That is how I live every day of my life. I imagine Jesus is coming or I'm going home on a regular basis because it keeps me centered and focused and straight ahead. But yeah. guys, <laughs> all of these things have happened. I had a conversation this past week with a new friend that is in Afghanistan that her life is on the line. I mean, particularly for even doing this interview, she risked her life in every way. Mm. She is on the ground being persecuted to the point of death. This is all these things are happening (laughs) or have happened. Have happened and are continuing to happen. But then Mm -hmm. it says, but the end won't come right away. So we do have a pause. We have a reality check of, you know, just because it feels like, which we all feel in this generation, it feels like everything's caving in. It doesn't mean it's going to happen the day after that, right? He's got things he wants to accomplish and it is his mercy that holds back his arrival because the more time that he gives people to repent, the more mercy that he is extending to humans alive, right? So so I'm all for as many people, and I picture that. I picture God, like when we're all doing the work we're doing, there's this sense of judgment is coming, there's yeah. a pending doom, right? And <laughs> and we're all going, okay, right now that judgment has not come yet. So we fight every day. We persevere to bring the gospel to the world. And I think it's just the most motivating thing in the world to think of That's right. how near it could be. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and God says repeatedly in the book of Ezekiel, I take no pleasure in the death of any person. Like he desires to save us. He Mm -hmm. pursues us. He sends his own son Mm -hmm. to reconcile us to him. And then that last verse, Jenny, that you read, verse 19, by your endurance, gain your lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Also this notion of that persecution is actually an opportunity Mm -hmm. (laughs) Ah, Mm -hmm. like, you know, God bless your friend that you just mentioned Jenny in Afghanistan that, you know, she is being persecuted and she is knowing the Lord and knowing the promises of scripture. She is using that persecution as an opportunity to proclaim the message of Jesus, to bear witness to what she knows is true. Mm -hmm. And this moment, there's a really interesting moment in this passage that you just read where Jesus says to his disciples, in verse 14, make up your minds not to prepare. It's so counterintuitive. Make up your minds not to prepare ahead of time a defense, because I will give you such words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Jesus is, because he had already said to them that the Holy Spirit would do that. And now he's saying, I will do that. And so he is saying very clearly the Holy Spirit and I, very connected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so there are just these little, as we are getting closer and closer to the cross, it's like you said earlier, Denny, he's like, okay, it's time now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to start making clearer and clearer what I'm doing and what's happening. Jenny, that parable of the fig tree is actually just further down in Luke chapter 21, And then right after that, it has the heading, the need for watchfulness. So verse 34, it says, Be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life. Um, Mm. Worries of life is in the category right there. Or that day will come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. But be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. 
I just think we are living in a, an age where our tendency is to fight the darkness as if we can solve the darkness and the darkness can be brought under submission right now mm. by our hand and by our anger and by our control. And what Jesus is saying, don't be surprised by these things. <laughs> this is how the world is going to go. I will redeem it. I will make it right. But it will get darker before the light comes. And so, again, it's not that we don't try to bring righteousness into the dark places of the world. Absolutely. It's our call as Christians. It's who we are. It's what we do. However, we don't do it with fear, and we don't have to do it with anger because we know the end of the story, right? There's this sense of mm -hmm. do not be alarmed. Do not be surprised. This is going to happen, and it may even lead to your death. It may lead yeah. to yeah. losing relatives. It may lead to losing many of your comforts and conveniences. It may lead to losing a lot of things on earth that we value and prize. However, yeah. it is the foretelling that, that Jesus is about to make it all right. And do we mm -hmm. believe that? Yeah. yeah. Just ahead of that in verse 26, he says, people will faint from fear and expectation of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Mm -hmm. then, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That sounds like an event, right? Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, stand up and lift your heads because your redemption is near. That is the word of the Lord. That's capital H hope. Yeah. I just can't wait. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I cannot wait. Mm. <laughs> I think I wish it would happen, but then I, you know, I know we have work to do. So it's both and, right? It's, I can't wait, and I want to be busy, and I want to accomplish what mm -hmm. he wants us to accomplish. Like, we sing that, like, Lord, haste the day that our faith shall be sight, right? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, like, Lord, that you would tarry, that all would come to you. And God is so kind that as we wait and tarry, and yes, there's so, like, it gets darker before the dawn, right? Like, there's so much darkness pressing in, but He's so kind to give us glimpses of that glory and glimpses of that redemption right now. You know, like, there are just supernatural moments of light that break in. And we get to trust the story to Him. We just, right. we get to trust the story to Him. All right, friends, we're going to take a quick break from this excellent episode because I want to tell you about one of the She Reads Truth podcast sponsors. And here's the deal. I was asked to record an ad today about our sponsor, Orate. I was delighted to be asked to talk about Orate because I showed up at the office today wearing my Orate gold curb chain necklace. And that is no coincidence because I wear it every single day. So they asked me to talk about Orate easy as pie. I love this brand. It's founded by two women. They are so behind everything they make. It's excellent quality. Everything's got a lifetime warranty. It's actual gold, so you can wear it in the shower. You can wear it when you work out. I wear usually about three necklaces a day, and this is the one that never comes off. So if you want me to talk about Orate, that is what I will tell you. And here's the deal. They love our listeners, and they support our podcast, which I'm also so thankful for. 
here's the deal. If you want to wear the gold curb chain necklace like me or shop at their site and see what works for you, they're offering She Reads Truth podcast listeners 20% off your first Orate purchase. So just go to oratenewyork.com slash she reads truth. That is A-U-R-A-T-E newyork.com slash she reads truth and use promo code she reads truth. That's 20% off, no minimum spend. And here's the deal. They don't always have discounts and definitely not this high. So Go check it out while you can. This is the best offer out there, and it is exclusively for y'all. So once again, go to oratenewyork.com. That's A-U-R-A-T-E, newyork.com slash She Reads Truth, and use promo code She Reads Truth to get 20% off. And you can get a necklace that you will love as much as I love mine. All right, let's get back to the show. As we move through you know, the end of the book of Luke into chapter 22, it's this reminder that this mm-hmm. is the festival of the unleavened bread. It's called Passover. By the way, really important thing By the way, right now. very yeah. important detail. Jenny Allen, talk to us briefly and our listeners, why is it so significant that Holy Week and that all of these events are transpiring overlaid on Passover, like the Feast of the Unleavened <laughs> Bread? Why is that important? Because he was the promise of the Old Testament. He was Mm. the blood that was put over the homes in Egypt. It was the symbol of what would be the blood over our doors. It's the symbol of what would be the hope over our lives and our homes. And it would be ultimately in Jesus, right? The Old Testament Mm -hmm. sacrifices were meant to point to the ultimate sacrifice that would come in Jesus. That all of those lambs that were shed and the blood that was shed from little, you know, small creatures we're ultimately pointing to the need for a sacrifice that would cover our lives and cover our death. And that is in our sin and our mistakes. So he is the ultimate lamb that was led to slaughter. The ultimate lamb observed Passover. Like Hmm. we're going to come and like, where can we observe Passover this week? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and he of course is riding into Jerusalem for the feast of unleavened bread, knowing that he himself is, he's delivering himself as Mm -hmm. the Passover lamb. And so this tradition that the people of Israel have had kept for thousands of years to observe and to remember that God saved them from slavery by protecting them by that blood of the lamb over their doorposts in the Exodus, here he comes. Yeah. The capital P Passover lamb. Mm. Okay, so here's something that I want to talk about with you guys. I want to talk about money in the Bible, but specifically, there are enough things that we're going to read during Holy Week that I feel like I just, as I was studying this week, I wanted to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. So as we get to day 45, which is Wednesday of Holy Week, side note, some traditions I just found out call it Spy Wednesday. Do you know that, Jenny? I did not know that. I just learned that this morning in my digging. I think it's because of Judas. something to do with Judas. Yeah. Anyway, so what we're reading in Wednesday of Holy Week, we get from Matthew 26. And I'll actually read that. It says, Then one of the twelve, the man called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they weighed out 30 pieces of silver for him. And from that time, he started looking for a good opportunity to betray him. Also in that day, in Mark chapter 14, this record of the anointing at Bethany. Mm, I love the story. I want to talk about it, and then we can read it too. But like, where Mary anoints Jesus with perfume, and one of the disciples, I think we assume it's Judas because he's the, the money keeper, he's just like 
this is a complete waste. Like why, like this perfume could have been sold. And they say it's like worth about 300 denarii, which is about a year's wages. So I looked at those two passages and kind of even like asked our like editorial team, like help me, help me look at this concept, which I'm sure like many of you listening have probably had the same questions and maybe even come to the same conclusions. But like what we know is that 30 pieces of silver is roughly the value of like my research found it between like $90 and $600. So like right around that amount of money. Like about today's dollars? Today's dollars. Okay. But I also read that like at that time it was worth about five weeks pay, five weeks wages. Okay. I don't the, hold those as loosely as, as we probably should. Whereas the 300 denarii, the perfume was worth about a year's a wages. Year, right. Right. We go back to the widow's mite. That was like the day before and the money that she brought to the temple, that little like portion Mm -hmm. of a penny was worth about six minutes of Mm. wages. But digging a little bit deeper because I love this kind of rabbit trail, we've learned that this 30 pieces of silver is actually the amount that in Exodus tells us was the price of a slave to be sold in Egypt. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so Jesus, the son of man, this detail that he would be sold for a slave's price mm-hmm. is so interesting. And then also like, even like looking back in Genesis, like Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. I was going to ask if you knew. Like yeah. Joseph. And then mm. Delilah sold Samson for, it's debatable because it was like up to like at least five guys offered 1100 shekels. So at least 5,500 shekels. Like what we know at the end of the day, the price for which Jesus was sold was less than almost all of these things but also significantly the price that a slave was purchased for in Egypt in the Exodus. That was my rabbit trail. Wow. Take that for what you will. We were talking about it this morning before the recording. I was talking with Agosa, who's on our editorial team, and we were just like a little flabbergasted at that detail mm-hmm. that, that mm. he would become essentially like be sold at a slave's price in order to free us from our slavery, like Mm. especially in the context of this Passover, this time where we're remembering that the people of Israel were brought out of slavery. Anyway, those are my details. Those are my thoughts. What do you think? I just think the juxtaposition that like the day that Judas has made the agreement, what he's willing to do, that he's willing to betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, and that Mary would take this precious perfume that would otherwise be like provision and sustenance for her, right? Like it's Mm -hmm. worth money. It's worth a year's wages. And that she would anoint Jesus with it, pour it over his head, which is, you know, it's a foreshadowing. I mean, she's anointing him. She doesn't know. (laughs) He knows. She's anointing him for his death, his burial. Yeah. And so it is actually very appropriate and poignant but that those two things would be right there together. It just, it makes it clear to me who I want to be. (laughs) Do I want to be Judas? Do I want to be Mary? No, I agree. I think I'm very moved by Mary in this moment, Mm -hmm. and I'm just putting myself in her shoes and and thinking what a vulnerable thing to do in front of people. And yet, you know, you know that Satan entered Judas to cause him to do what he had done, and you know the Mm -hmm. spirit had entered Mary to cause her to do Mm. what she had done because Mm -hmm. you know that I don't think she probably had full knowledge of what was about to happen. And yet he says what's about to happen. He says, she's anointed my body in advance for burial. So there's a sense of everything that's supposed to happen is happening through Satan and through the spirit of God, right? It's all happening. (laughs) 
and it's going to answer what the prophets have foretold exactly. And mm-hmm. and these small things are not lost on us, right? We can't believe the timing right. of all that. It's ramping up. We're getting to, on Thursday, we're going to read about the Lord's Supper, the first Lord's Supper. It's the transference from it being this Feast of Unleavened Bread, this Passover, and it's the institution of something new, mm-hmm. where we no longer observe the Passover mm-hmm. as New Testament Christians. We now, because of the institution here at the Last Supper, it was the Last Supper, but it was also the first Lord's Supper. Mm. Let's read it. Let's read maybe Mark 14, starting in 22, 22 through 26. Man, it's all so good. I want to read all of it. Jenny, what do you think? I just think, yeah, read that. That's so good. That's so good. Read that. Yeah, because we'll want to read the prayer in the garden too. Read the 22 through 31. Yeah. So this is starting in verse 22. This is Mark 14. As they were eating, he, Jesus, took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to them and said, take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I tell you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now this is something that I learned as I was studying, is that this language... I didn't realize how closely it reflects in Exodus, where Moses is at Mount Sinai with God and says, and this is Exodus 24, 8, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you concerning all these words. And so, and then in Jeremiah, we get the like, I'm going to make a new covenant. Mm -hmm. And so it's always so stunning to me how specifically God has written this story. Yeah, yeah. And so, and they sing after singing a hymn, mm-hmm. which, another fun fact, it is widely agreed that that would have been Psalm 118, which mm-hmm. is the psalm that says over and over, His faithful love endures forever. And interestingly, it's the title in the CSB, I think, what does it say? The title of that psalm in the CSB is Thanksgiving for Victory. Ooh. Y'all. So they're singing, he institutes the Lord's table. Yes. The Lord's Supper. And then they sing Psalm 118, His faithful love endures forever. They sing a victory victory song song. as they walk to the Mount of Olives where He will pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm -hmm. That's stunning to me, just stunning. And we know our friend Peter, God bless Peter, I love him so much that, you know, as they're After singing a hymn, they went up to the Mount of Olives, and then verse 27, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will fall away, because it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Mm. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, Even if everyone falls away, I will not. (laughs) Truly I tell you, Jesus said to him, Today, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Mm. But he kept insisting, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And they all said the same thing. Mm. So we don't need to pick on Peter because they were all saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. And we'll read a moment on the very next page when they all run away. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't take long that night. You know, what stuck out to me when you were reading is his perspective. I know this is going to be my theme for the day. Perspective is everything. <laughs> when you have perspective of eternity, when you have perspective of 
God and his plans for your life, like that changes the way you view everything. And Jesus, even though he knows he's about to be betrayed by everyone, he knows he's being led to his death. He's talking about his meal that he's going to have in heaven. Like he's saying, when I drink this again, it will be in the new, in the kingdom of God, with God or his father. And so the idea that his perspective, he holds onto a picture and a hope that there is a meal coming. And I remember being with, in a season of suffering with one of my best friends, Sarah Henry, who had a massive stroke at 35, couldn't speak, couldn't walk, couldn't move, had to, you know, in many ways come back out of all of that. And it's been a miracle. But in that season, I kept picturing the image God gave me to continue to tell her was us in heaven and her laughing like she used to laugh and us being across the table from each other and the food was incredible. And I just, it's like he gave me something to give her to hold on to. And it wasn't necessarily on earth, although we have had many, many meals now where we have laughed together mm-hmm. and, and been grateful together. But there was still a fullness of hope in heaven, that there would be a fullness to her body and fullness to her restoration and fullness to what you were saying earlier, Amanda, about the brokenness and how it doesn't on earth always equal that it was worth it. But in heaven, it will. And I think that hope that he has, I just, that was like the beacon of those verses is, I'm going to have this meal again one day. You're all going to betray yeah. me. It's going to be a disaster, but we will drink <laughs> again and we will eat again together and it will be made right. Yeah. Yeah. And even that that you just said, Jenny, it just, it gives perspective mm-hmm. <laughs> to the prayer in the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. we've read it, and we'll read it again this Holy Week this year. You know, this is where Scripture tells us that Jesus was deeply distressed and troubled. Verse 34, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. And he asks Peter, James, and John to stay there and stay awake while he goes and prays. And it says, he fell to the ground and prayed, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. Mm-hmm. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then there's the verse that says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He's talking to the disciples because they keep falling asleep. Um, And he says to them, you know, Mm. stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But his flesh was willing to the point of death. It's just stunning. Mm-hmm. So, friends listening, um, something that we know about you because you've given us this feedback is that often when y'all listen to the podcast, you will listen until we finish talking about one day and then you'll hit pause and then the next day after you do your reading, you'll listen to the podcast again, And which I actually love. I think that's such a cool... I never would have even thought of that. And it feels especially like interesting to approach it this way during Holy Week, although that's not how we've designed things. But one thing that Amanda and I were talking about before we hit record is the reality that, well, for one thing, that Lent ends on Holy Saturday, Mm -hmm. the season of Lent, and really um, Resurrection Sunday is the first day of Eastertide. But also, knowing that this episode will come live to y'all on Monday of Holy Week, we made the decision to only get to Holy Saturday with y'all in this episode. And really for the remainder of this episode, what we'd like to do is read Good Friday, read the scriptures from Mark chapter 15 and a little bit from Holy Saturday, and then leave us there. Leave us in the weight 
of Holy Week. Um, and I mean that both in the W-E-I-G-H-T and the W-A-I-T of ah, Holy Week. I see what you did there. But let's turn the page and look at Mark chapter 15. And if the three of us could share the reading of the account of Jesus' trial and his um, crucifixion, we would just love for y'all listening, if you're in a place where you can just sit and close your eyes and listen and meditate on the scripture as we read it. If you're driving, keep your eyes open, but still like open your ears, tune your ears to the truth, the historical truth of this account, but the spiritual implications of it, all this, all that we've read in Ezekiel leading to this week, or even if y'all didn't join us for Ezekiel, if you're joining us now, sit and ask the Lord for this to mean something to you Mm. as you listen. Starting in verse 1 in Mark chapter 15. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests tied Jesus up, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him, Aren't you going to answer? Look how many things they are accusing you of. But Jesus still did not answer. And so Pilate was amazed. This is verse 6. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? For he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. It's an interesting side note. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead, someone who was an actual convicted criminal, you guys. Verse 12, Pilate asked them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again, they shouted, crucify him. Pilate said to them, why? What has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. The soldiers led him away into the palace, that is the governor's residence, and called the whole company together. They dressed him in a purple robe, twisted together a crown of thorns, and put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King Jesus of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! They were hitting him on the head with a stick and spitting on him. Getting down on their knees, they were paying him homage. After they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple robe and put his clothes on. They led him out to crucify him. They forced a man coming in from the country who was passing by to carry Jesus' cross. He was Simon of Cyrene, the father of Alexander and Rufus. They brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull. They tried to give him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. Then they crucified him and divided his clothes, casting lots for them to decide what each would get. Now it was nine in the morning when they crucified him. The inscription of the charge written against him was the king of the Jews. They Mm. crucified two criminals with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by were yelling insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, ha, the one who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself by coming down from the cross. 
In the same way, the chief priests with the scribes were mocking him among themselves and saying, he saved others, but he can't save himself? Let the Messiah, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross so that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him taunted him. When it was noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? When some of those standing there heard this, they said, see, he's calling for Elijah. Someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, fixed it on a stick, offered him a drink and said, let's see if Elijah comes to take him down. Jesus let out a loud cry and breathed his last. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When the centurion who was standing opposite him saw the way he breathed his last, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. There were also women watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee these women followed him and took care of him. Many other women had come up with him to Jerusalem. When it was already evening, because it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the Sanhedrin, who was himself looking forward to the kingdom mm. of God, came and boldly went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he had already died. When he found out from the centurion, he gave the corpse to Joseph. Mm. After he bought some linen cloth, Joseph took him down and wrapped him in the linen. Then he laid him in a tomb, cut out of the rock, and rolled a stone against the entrance to the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were watching where he was laid. I will admit, you guys, I haven't, haven't read that all the way through in quite some time. Yeah. Tend to read it in pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really impactful to hear that in one stretch. Yeah. The story of the crucifixion. On Holy Saturday, not much happens. No. Let's read that as well. There's some language here that's really interesting. Jenny, do you want to read that for us? Matthew 27, 62 through 66. Yes. The next day, which followed the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that while this deceiver was still alive, he said, After three days, I will rise again. So give orders that the tomb be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come, steal him, and tell the people he has been raised from the dead. And the last deception will be far worse than the first. Take guards, Pilate told them. Go and make it as secure as you know how. They went and secured the tomb by setting a seal on the stone and placing the guards. And our other detail for Holy Saturday comes from Luke chapter 23, 54 through 56. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed along and observed the tomb and how his body was placed. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. There's such a sadness Mm -hmm. in that little passage you just read, Mm -hmm. Rachel. Just a resignation, like, okay, he's Mm -hmm. dead, and so now this is what we do next. Yeah. Jenny, that's our Savior. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Isn't it something? Like- yeah, I was very struck by how embarrassing it all was. How yeah, yeah. How he was mocked beginning to end, and yeah, and it was so much work. I mean, you, you think of the walk to the cross, and you think of the crucifixion as something so difficult on his body, but the whole time he is suffering physically, he is also being made fun of. I mean, I cannot imagine dying for people that aren't only killing you, but are literally making fun of you, putting a purple robe on you and making fun of you, which all ends up being true, right? There's a cynicism and a a jadedness to what they do, and yet they're speaking the truth even in their unbelief, which is, yeah, I mean, but personally to receive that and to be in that situation, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Friends, I would love... Our time is up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would love to leave us with Isaiah 53. Go back um, to the prophets. Yeah, and just, if it's okay, I'm going to take a little bit of liberty, and I'd love to pray this for us back to Jesus, back to the one who died in our place. This is Isaiah 53, 1 through 7, and I'm just going to replace the he's with you. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk to Jesus. Father, this is your word. Jesus, this is what you've done for us. Verse 1, Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Jesus, you grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. You didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at you, no appearance that we should desire you. You were despised and rejected by men a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. You were like someone people turned away from. You were despised, and we didn't value you. Yet, you yourself bore our sicknesses, and you carried our pains. But we in turn regarded you stricken, struck down by God, and afflicted. But you were pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment for our peace was on you, and we are healed by your wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We all have turned to our own way, and the Lord has punished you for the iniquity of us all. You were oppressed and afflicted, yet you did not open your mouth like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep silent before her shearers, you did not open your mouth. Jesus, this is what you have done for us. This is the way that you have made it possible for us to come to you, to repent, to live. Lord, this is our redemption and our hope. And we thank you and we pray, God, as we sit in the silence of Holy Saturday and sit with the reality, Jesus, that you died a death, a real physical death on a cross, a humiliating death Mm -hmm. for us. God, we pray that we would feel this presence that we've been talking about, your presence, the glory and holiness of your presence that we have been studying for weeks in the book of Ezekiel. We pray that you would make 
yourself known to us and your presence known to us. And we pray for your grace as we celebrate what we know is coming on Sunday. We ask all these things in your precious holy name. Amen. Amen. Friends, Sunday is coming. And even though we're sitting and walking away from this episode at the end of Holy Saturday, we would love for you at some point on Resurrection Sunday to join us as we read the scriptures together with Jenny. Sunday is coming. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us Mm. this week, this very special week. Until Resurrection Sunday, what do we tell our friends? Keep opening your Bibles.